Welcome back to Second Helping, the podcast of choice of fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, alongside my co-host and great friend Brent Beard, a longtime college football analyst for First Coast News down in Jacksonville, Florida. Also, Brent is a longtime voter in the race for the most prestigious individual honor in college sports, the Heisman Trophy. And of course, we also want to remind you, the podcast brought to you by DraftKings. Go to DraftKings.com right now. You're going to find some outstanding deals where fantasy football is concerned. We're certainly proud to be associated with DraftKings and the Pigskin Podcast Network. TPPN is where this show originates, but you can find Second Helping anywhere you consume podcasts. But again, thanks once again to the great folks at the Pigskin Podcast Network. Hey, Brent, uh, no shortage of topics, I guess, this week. Just a couple of game of the year type options with one certainly standing out as the preeminent game of the college football season to date. I was going to ask you, though, is there a happier coach in the SEC heading into this weekend than Lane Kiffin? (laughs) <laughs> for a couple of reasons. His team gets a much-needed bye week. Yes, but he yes. gets to watch all these games. He does. It's a bye week in advance of Alabama coming to town. And he'll probably be active on that Twitter during these games, I, I think, maybe on Saturday. Uh, he has uh, not been shy at all uh, about sharing his thoughts on uh, uh, one Jimbo Fisher. Has he traveled? So uh, that, that's that been very uh, interesting, but that was a pretty quick handshake after that game uh, last week. But Ole Miss, again, in rarefied air. Uh, Trav, do people realize that, that Ole Miss, for the second year in a row, could win double-digit games? Yeah, it's wild. And we talk about Lane Kiffin, and we're going to be talking about him perhaps in association with the job opening in the yes. SEC West that just unfolded, played itself out here. No surprise at all, Brent, to see Brian Harson uh, relieved of his duties there at Auburn. But, uh, boy, a lot going on on the Plains. New athletic director and John Cohen comes in from Mississippi State. Cohen made a couple of football hires for State, Joe Moorhead, and then more recently, um, of course, Mike Leach. Uh, a lot going on on the Plains. And, uh, is it Lane Kiffin? Is it Deion Sanders? Uh, just so many names being thrown around already in association with the opening there at Auburn. Uh, well, Hugh Freeze obviously is going to be mentioned for that job too. I, I'm still not sure, Trav. I, I I like Deion. I like that fact that he can recruit well and how important that is in the brand that you get from his name. I'm just not sure that he's ready for a head job in the SEC yet. Uh, but no, no doubt that's going to continue to be, to be out there. And I think the other thing is, uh, and we've seen this a few times, I guess, in history with the SEC, but Trevor, have you ever noticed when usually something happens uh, that, that either a player or a coach goes from one team to the other, that they play each other the next week? And the same thing's happening with Mississippi State and states in the A.D., uh, Cohen goes now to Auburn, says he will uh, be making that decision by himself at Auburn. I'll be, I'll have to see that and believe it if John Cohen happens. <laughs> so, so, but, but, but Trev, the, uh, the, the, there's always a story behind the story in the SEC, right? 
It uh, it's endless. The storylines it seems like <laughs> on a weekly basis, and uh, that will continue to be the case. I look, you know, what we're going to continue to hear with Auburn, I think, even more so than most other openings, is uh, specific fit that that seems yes. to be required in that job. Um, you know, I, I think that term is overused because. I mean, where, where does it not matter how the fit goes? I mean, sure. you you got to have the right fit. I don't care. Right. Alabama certainly had to have the right fit, and as much as anything, got that with yes. Nick Saban. So, um, fit is you know, that's that's anywhere you look uh, in these coaching openings. But uh, it will be uh, a lot of interest, I think, in that gig. And, and when I look at it, I, I don't think Deion Sanders needs the Auburn job either. You know, I think Deion Sanders is in a position where, yeah, he's at Jackson State, he's at the FCS level, but he can really cherry pick. You know, Deion doesn't can't. have to be in a hurry. Uh, no. and, and frankly, no. if I was Deion right now, uh, I don't know if I would look at Auburn as uh, a place that, that that I need to make a move right now. I think the same thing for Lane Kiffin. You know, Ole Miss right now is as good a job it is. Um, as Auburn. Now, you don't have the NIL capabilities at, at, at Ole Miss as you're going to have, uh, at Auburn, but you know, Lane is able to sell the NFL and well enough, I think with his program, uh, with an emphasis on the offensive side of the ball that, uh, he can sustain that for a while sure you can. And, and then cherry pick himself. I think Hugh freeze of these guys we're talking about makes the most sense. Um, because I don't think he's, if he gets the opportunity back in the SEC, regardless of the program or the situation, I think he's got to take it. Mm-hmm. You know, if that's what he wants yes. to do, if he wants to get back in the SEC, because frankly, given his history, I, I think those opportunities are still, um, you know, going to be uh, be limited in nature. But Brent, as we typically do here on the program, we like to review as we preview, and we certainly got some games <laughs> to preview this week. And in connection with that, we'll. We'll talk about the games from last weekend, uh, Kentucky and Missouri in that noon Eastern window to help get us going on Saturday. Kentucky really limped out of Neyland Stadium last Saturday night. Wow. You look at the numbers offensively, and Will Levis, very pedestrian at best. Uh, Tennessee did a nice job on Christian Rodriguez, and from there, it was essentially a cruise for the Vols on the Tennessee River. 44 to 6, Kentucky goes down. Kentucky now 5 and 3 in the uh, overall 2 and 3 in the SEC. And here comes Missouri, man. Seems to be surging right now after a road win, uh winning that Mayor's Cup in Columbia, South Carolina last Saturday night. Give Eli Drinkwitz and his staff a lot of credit too. Boy, they we talked about it throughout the season. Some of the losses uh, early on in conference play were just heartbreaking in nature, but they've held that thing together yeah. pretty well. And here they are at four and four in the league and, you know, with a, with a shot at bowl eligibility. Uh, yeah, well, and that would be huge for them uh, to see that go on. I, and, and look, that upset win over South Carolina, I think got a lot of people's attention uh, during that time too. So uh, certainly kudos to them. Brady cook, I think he's still kind of slowly coming around. Uh, he, he's been a pretty solid quarterback. He's not elite, but he's been 17 to 26 for 224. Um, Cody Schrader, I think, has been a decent running back, 81 yards. Dominique Lovett, 
uh, has done well too. Uh, but yes, there's no doubt that was Missouri's fourth straight win over South Carolina. Uh, and again, they're looking to go up the bowl packing order. Trev, I'll be honest with you. I was very surprised with the Kentucky uh, situation. And we'll talk about this with the Tennessee, Georgia, but Tennessee's defense actually showed up for that game. But Will Levis, a very pedestrian, 98 yards. Chris Rodriguez, a very pedestrian, 64. Tavion Robinson was basically non-existent uh, in that game. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, – and we talk a lot this time of year not only about the uh, uh, who's going to win the divisional and conference championship, but games like this uh, that are really important for, for the sake of these coaches – particularly Eli drink with and in and, and the bowl pecking order for both of these clubs. No doubt about it. And before the season, we were talking about Kentucky as a legitimate contender Absolutely. in the Eastern division. Now we're looking at Kentucky with a road trip at Missouri this week. Mm-hmm. Georgia is still out there. And then what Louisville's still on the schedule, yeah. I believe. Yes. Um, you know, you start wondering a little bit about six, seven wins for this team in the regular season. So uh, certainly already a disappointing stretch for Mark Stoops, team, but uh, they need to take care of business. I don't think this is a, a favorable situation for Kentucky no. right now at all. Um, you talk about psyche and uh, gut check and character check type of games. I think that's what this is for the Wildcats. And it's an early kickoff. On Saturday, Missouri seems to be trending in a very positive direction. You said it with Brady Cook. Seems like we try to try to get get him out of that lineup, but yeah. he manages to stay in there. He does. he does a nice job with his legs. I think he gets undervalued a little bit in terms of how he's able to make some plays. And Dom Lovett, you know, we talk so much about Luther Burden because he's the five star freshman, but this is the guy right now for for Missouri on the outside, Dominic Lovett. Uh, as far as playmaking ability. So I think I like Missouri in that early kickoff uh, in Columbia, in Como, on Saturday over the visiting Wildcats. Uh, uh, and by the way, with the Lovett Trap, he's third in the SEC in receiving yards, mm-hmm. 659. Now, the two things that have raised its ugly head uh, with Kentucky, one has been, has lasted the whole year, as their offensive line play has been uh, putrid, frankly, yeah. uh, in, in trying to protect the quarterback. And two is they had three turnovers last week. And again, I give Tennessee credit for that. But Travis, didn't we say the same thing about them last year? Was uh, when they got to that crucial point of the season, end of October, first of uh, November, uh, that those turnovers again became a real problem. They did. And, and credit to Missouri in this thing too, uh, on the other side of this matchup Saturday, Blake Baker, uh, the defensive coordinator has done a nice job with with that side of the ball at Mizzou. And it looks like he's going to be rewarded in the way of a nice raise and an extension. So, uh, good stuff there for Missouri. We also look in that early window on Saturday, Florida makes that trip to Texas A&M. We still can't get Georgia out to college station, but no, I believe this is no. Texas. This is Florida's second trip to Texas A&M in the last few years. So the Gators at four and four overall one and four in the league coming off their latest loss to the Georgia Bulldogs there on the banks of the St. John's river. I know you were there on Saturday, right? So, uh, 
Give us some thoughts, some firsthand account from Brent Beard from the world's largest cocktail party. Well, I think Florida, uh, I mean, they were, they frankly were just overwhelmed the first half. You still got uh, such a learning process again for Anthony Richardson, who uh, can make a brilliant play and then just miss a host of wide open receivers. Uh, now, Florida was able to run the way they wanted to. They got in a hole. To their credit, Trav, they came back in the third quarter. I think some of that was because Georgia got bored, uh, and then they were able to turn it on. But Florida took advantage of that. I'm not sure Dan Mullen's group last year would have made that comeback. Uh, so no no real surprise in, in that outcome at all, was it? No. What about Brenton Cox after the game? Um the decision to to dismiss the outstanding yes. edge defender and uh, from from what you could gather, I guess, it sounded like it was an accumulation of issues yes. that had finally reached a, a boiling point, a tipping point there uh, during and after the the loss to Georgia. Uh, well, it, it was something unfortunately that uh, was one of those mutual decisions, quote unquote. But uh, and, and look, Georgia beat writers told me that. George officials are not unhappy that he left there. So, uh, but, yeah. but, but I mean, Trav, the problem is for Brent Cox now is after George and Florida, where does he go? Uh, but, and, and for the here and the now, it's going to be interesting to see how it's going to be very important that Florida can replace him. He had 35 tackles and a couple of sacks uh, in eight games. But, but, but listen, isn't this a really important game for both these teams? Oh. Uh, uh, they, it, this is, you know, again, we talk about bowls, uh, winning seasons, and the whole nine yards. So uh, this, to me, is another one of those 50-50 games. Uh, I think Florida can run. Uh, the, I mean, A&M's offensively continues to struggle. Uh, here's a key stat. Gators 4-0 when running for more than 210, 0-4 when they don't. Uh, so keep your eye on that one. And the secondary for Florida has allowed 220 yards or more in each of the last five games. That's a that's a problem to say the least. But uh, And I thought A&M played pretty well, uh, frankly, against Ole Miss. And Travis, you and I have talked about this coming that have they found their guy finally in Connor Wiegman, 28-44, four touchdowns. Yeah, amazing to talk about a Florida-Texas A&M matchup and the two teams are combined 2-8 and eight in the league. Yeah, amazing. Uh, but that's where we are right now. And so I'm with you on the, the comeback by Florida uh, in the loss to Georgia. I thought that showed some good things culture-wise where the Gators are at in year one under Billy Napier at the end of the day. It's still an L to one of your biggest rivals, um, Texas A&M, there's no doubt. Connor Wiegman is the guy, and you're right. We've talked about this potential scenario really since the start of the season. It has come to fruition, and now when you weigh the future of Jimbo Fisher, I think that's a big part of it. Yes. Uh, do we want to pay this buyout, which is going to be, what, $85 million? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Or do we want to go with the stance of, look, Jimbo's got his guy at quarterback, and Connor Wigman. He's got some playmakers and Evan Stewart, Moose Muhammad, assuming everybody comes back with right. the transfer portal out there. Who knows? But this is the way it could be sold, right? 
to the fan base. We're going to give Jimbo mm-hmm. uh, the opportunity to go into 2023 with Wigman, and then we'll see how it goes from there. I, I just feel like that's that's what we're looking at here. Yeah, well, well uh, and but, but and I wonder if they make some kind of of announcement uh, over the next couple of weeks. Usually that that is relegated to the end of the season. But Trev, with the, with the same to your thought, A&M's on, on their first four-game losing streak since 2005. Wow. That is, uh, that's a stat right there. It is. Uh, it, it's, that precedes uh, some, Kevin someone, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. I yeah, think that yeah. goes back to Dennis Francione. I think yeah. that's a Fran stat. Right. If you go back to 2005, I believe, uh, and that failed um, tenure for the former Alabama TCU coach, Dennis Francione. Um, let's talk about 3.30 Eastern. I guess we have to, right? I mean, I guess we'll talk <laughs> yeah. one versus three. Tennessee travels to Georgia, unbeaten, uh, so much at stake here. It feels like, although you also get the sense that the loser of this game still Maybe in a yep. not so bad spot where the college football playoff is concerned, assuming right. the loser wins out over the remainder of the month. But boy, the ball's impressive once again, as we talked about earlier in that 44 to 6 win over rival Kentucky last Saturday night at Neyland Stadium. Georgia looked like a national championship team, but then, as you pointed out, seemed to become a little disinterested. This could be the the, the the biggest insult you could you could give Florida for for that for that game is that you know we talk about Florida and Georgia as one of the preeminent rival games in college football and it felt a little bit like Georgia mentally shifted to Tennessee yeah. in the first yeah. half yeah. you know um, so that's got to hurt if you're a Florida fan but the dogs do plenty uh, in getting the job done against the Gators. Um, you know, this Tennessee team's interesting because it feels like they've played 10 games at home this year. Yeah. But when you think well, about it, they have road wins at Pitt. Now, Pitt has sort of fallen on hard times. It's almost like Tennessee took the season out of Pitt with that overtime win in, in week two. Pitt has just not been uh, the same since. Um, and also the win, the, the win over LSU a few weeks ago, I think because it was an 11 a.m. local kickoff and um, it really got out of hand pretty quickly. I think that win's been devalued a little bit. But, man, when you saw the college football playoff rankings come out on Tuesday night, it, it looked pretty good, didn't it? Uh, I, I still say it's really amazing what Tennessee's done to take advantage of seven-on-seven football. And this is basically what's happened. When you've got a an elite quarterback and elite receivers, and you can score points. That is uh, going to sell tickets and get fans excited. That's what happened last year. This year, it's caused them to get the number one ranking. And what is unusual, and this is Travis Ryer's stat, uh, is – I, I thought the defense played much better, Trav, against Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky, here's your stat here. Kentucky held to just 3.2 yards per play. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I, Travis, I, I thought that was important. I'm not saying they're going to do that against Georgia coming up this week, but for a Vol defense that did not have much to hang their hat on, I thought that stat was uh, vital for them. No, there's no doubt. I think Tennessee's 
continued improvement on the defensive side. And we can look at the Alabama game and uh, that defense did give up 42 points. Alabama scored 49, but one of those was a defensive touchdown. Yep. Um, but they did enough. Right. And so uh, that that's been the, 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 the telling aspect of this Tennessee team as much as anything. You said it with the offensive side. It's I call it the shock and balls yeah. <laughs> because it's like early in the game. Yeah. They just yeah. overwhelm teams with yes. that pace and that passing attack. But, you know, Tennessee still runs the ball well enough. And that went over Alabama. They ran for over 180 yards. You know, so it's not like they ran for 23 yards and then threw for 400. Uh, they did enough in the run game to really make Alabama have to respect it. And then they were able to get what they wanted on the outside as a result of it. You know, it's a big injury for Georgia, right? Going into this game with Nolan Smith out for the remainder of the season, the outstanding edge defender. So uh, you worry about that from the Georgia side of things. I'll tell you this. I cover Alabama on a daily basis. So I saw the success that Alabama had with Cameron Latou against Tennessee Mm -hmm. in that game, which if I'm a Tennessee fan, that bothers me because I know know Georgia's got two. They got two that are twice of what Cameron Latou presents in terms of a challenge as a receiver. Well, and Trav, uh, the Washington kid for, for Georgia, Florida absolutely could not tackle him. Uh, so he was a beast, uh, all six foot seven of him, uh, in, in that regards. Look, I, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, at, now the Brenton Cox leaving, uh, is one thing, but the reality of it is Nolan Smith is another, uh, Nolan Smith is an elite player. Now that doesn't mean that they don't have, uh, replacement for him because they're deeper defensively than, than people give them credit for. Trev, I like Georgia in this game still. Uh, I I don't think I don't think Georgia wants to track meet because I think they've got enough versatility on that offense uh, with what Monken has done with it, to where they can control more of the ball and control a little bit more of the clock. And and shorten the game. I'm not saying they. I'm not saying if they had to, they couldn't win a track meet. But I think they want to play uh, their game. There won't be any lack of focus in this one, will it, pal? Uh, no, I think it, Georgia's offensive line has a better chance of controlling the game than Alabama's did. Yes, yes. Alabama was never able to control the front for no. Tennessee, and. That's understanding. Jameer Gibbs had a hundred yard game, mm-hmm. but that was about it for Alabama running the football. But I think this Georgia offensive line uh, has an opportunity to do that at a higher level, a much higher level. And um, yeah, I, I agree. I, Georgia wants to keep this thing more in the twenties or thirties. Yes. And, you know, even in Knoxville last year, Tennessee got out to the quick start. Um, the, 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 the concern I'd have for Georgia and I don't really ha- call it a concern because I just I, I I don't think it's something that that if a game of this magnitude you typically see from a team at, or teams at this level is the dip in focus that we saw against Florida uh, and the mistakes that we saw uh, against Florida on the offensive side of the ball the turnovers uh, you you can't be negative two or three no. in no. this game. Uh, on Saturday and beat this Tennessee team because those extra possessions for that offense, they will make you pay 
And so, yeah, I'm with you. I like Georgia uh, in the game. I, I think, as crazy as this sounds, maybe having a game like Missouri that mm-hmm. Georgia had yeah. Yeah. Could, could prove beneficial to, to the Bulldogs if this thing gets into the fourth quarter. Um, and, and I think Tennessee, too, though. Tennessee's certainly been challenged. And, and I think most people just look at that Alabama game. But, again, you can go back to that road trip to Pitt and uh, that that's a game you could almost assign should have lost status to. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, the Vols got it done. Yeah, they really did. Uh, but I do wonder, uh, Georgia's had more of these games in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I do wonder where that goes uh, in here. Now, uh, we're, one thing about this Georgia defense that I wanted to mention, some guys who have really stood out. Trav, what's your impression of uh, Malachi Starks? Uh, this guy, the the Georgia safety, has really come on strong. People asked at the beginning of the season, well, they lost all these guys in the NFL. Do they really have people coming back uh, who can make an impact? And it's going to take some of these other guys, uh, obviously, some time to get seasoned. But guys like Sarks have stood up, made a difference real quick. Yeah, he reminds me of Minka Fitzpatrick. Yeah, Minka was at Alabama. I think I think Malachi Starks can do about whatever you need a defensive back to do, whether corner safety, sub DB, uh, what a player this young guy is. And uh, I think as much as anything for Georgia on the back end Saturday, it's going to come down to eye discipline yep. because yep. Tennessee runs these wide splits with these wide receiver stacks to each side. Um and, and they try to get you looking at the wrong thing in those stacks. And then the next thing you know, uh, Jalen Hyatt's running free behind your safety. And so whatever the plan is for Kirby and Glenn Schumann and the rest of that staff on Saturday, uh, boy, you, you got to be disciplined in your approach and you got to try your best to keep it in front and make Tennessee beat you from the red zone. Alabama gave it up in the red zone too, uh, to an extent, in that loss to, to Tennessee. But as much as anything, it was the explosive plays for touchdowns that were especially problematic. You got to make this Tennessee offense travel seven, eight, nine plays uh, to get in the end zone. You got to limit these two, three play sort of drives that they thrive on. And, you know, you got to be ready to, to go, whatever your defensive package of choice is, you you got to be prepared for it to be on the field for 90% of the game because the pace of Tennessee yes. will not allow you to sub. So that's a part of it, too, that a lot of people don't talk about is that they limit your options in terms of personnel you can have on the field because you can't get it on the field. You, know, no. you can't sub. We saw it. Kentucky had issues um, last Saturday night. It's a weekly occurrence when going against this Tennessee offense. In uh, Alabama, had the same issues too. Yeah. With, the, with the trying to get guys off. Uh, the last thing for me with this, and I don't want to make this a big deal, but but I think it is fascinating. And, and I don't know how often we'll ever see this, but we've got two quarterbacks here, Trav, who are basically both 25 years old. Old cats. Yeah. Uh, how how number one? How rare is that that we see in college football? And, and number two. Uh, how big a difference would that would this make in a game like this? Yeah, we got we got uh, COVID QBs, I call them. You know, with that <laughs> that extra year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, it's extremely beneficial. And you know, when you think about it, 
Hendon Hooker uh, researched this before the Tennessee-Alabama game. He's older than Mac Jones, Jalen Hurts, and Tua tonga Viola. That's amazing. Think about that. that Think really about if is. those guys were still playing college football. Yeah. Uh, well. yeah come on. Not not that, that Hendon Hooker hadn't been great because he has been, but – no, it's absolutely an advantage, and you know that's where I think, as much as anything with Tennessee, you got to be able to match the quarterback. Yeah. And so, whereas Stetson is still viewed erroneously as sort of this caretaker, mm-hmm. I mean the guy is thrown for, he's thrown for ten more yards this season. Dan has Hendon Hooker. You know, you want to talk about a stat? As great as Hooker's been, Stetson Bennett going into this game is thrown for ten more yards that's than amazing. Hendon Hooker. That's so, amazing. Absolutely. They just do it in different ways. Um, and that's where I think also in this game, we're going to talk so much about these tight ends, Washington and Bowers for Georgia. Um, but that that's where Georgia's wide receivers um, could end up proving to be pretty big in this game, too, because Tennessee has improved. But we know if there's a area of that defense you want to attack, it's on the back end. And, no doubt. you know, I think Stetson's ability to extend plays uh, is going to be beneficial in that regard as well. Also, how about that afternoon window, Liberty and Arkansas sharing that with Tennessee and Georgia. <laughs> uh, and it's a very intriguing game. It because really we is. Get, you know, we talk about the Auburn opening and all the different names that are being associated with that opening. And here comes Hugh Freeze. We just can't keep Hugh out of the SEC oh. West. It, it doesn't seem to matter uh, where he ends up. Uh, he brings a really good Liberty team once again back to the league. Uh, didn't work out so well in his return to Ole Miss last year, but um, Arkansas coming off a road win at Auburn. The Razorbacks at five and three, two and three in the SEC, and um, Liberty looking to maybe catch this Arkansas team and in the midst of what's been certainly a challenging schedule already. Uh, or with uh, the non-conference schedule for Arkansas, uh, amazingly with. Cincinnati, BYU, and now Liberty. Uh, that's about as good as it gets for the uh, fan base. Trev, if this was a Thursday night game, wouldn't we watch every play of it? Uh, <laughs> this is a great matchup in a lot of ways. Arkansas seemed to have found some momentum uh, with wins over BYU and and, uh, uh, and also with Auburn. Uh, I mean, the, the, the same guys. Uh, have been consistent throughout the year. K.J. Jefferson, Rocket Sanders. Rocket Sanders, if people haven't heard this, leads the SEC with 1,041 yards. My stars, what a season. Matt Landers uh, played well also against Auburn. Uh, so, And again, this Liberty team is pretty interesting in it, Trav. They, the, they'll struggle against Gardner, Webb, and Akron, almost beat Wake Forest, played well, uh, against BYU, but but in some ways, you know, this is a typical Hugh team. They they throw it all over the field. They run it when they need to. Uh, and uh, and and again, is this a bit, Trav? Is this a bit of an audition for Hugh in the league? Shall we say? <laughs> well, could be. And uh, you know, I think this is where roster differential should come into play. I thought yes. that's sort of been the case. Uh, with teams like Liberty when they've come in in these spots, but it's at a point in the season where, you know, uh, losses and and attrition and injuries, they take their toll even on programs like Arkansas. And so uh, we talk about matchups and sort of uh, looking at that 
that Georgia Tennessee uh, game and and can Georgia make Tennessee pay on the back end? Well, Liberty set up in a way and that, you know, they, they possibly could do that to this Arkansas team. That's been very deficient for a variety of reasons there uh, on the back end at the prime time slots on Saturday night, plenty of action, three games uh, with the first kicking off at seven Eastern on ESPN. Then a couple of the games at seven thirty Eastern, but Alabama LSU, Rare JV status for Alabama LSU within the league. I wouldn't yes. call it exactly JV status. Um, you got two of the top 10 teams in yeah. the country, according to the first release of the college football playoff rankings on Tuesday night. But the Crimson Tide, man, you talk about success on the road, 24 and 1 in their last 25 trips to Death Valley. LSU, especially since really. 2012 in those home games uh, struggled offensively to put points on the board this time around though it kind of has the feel of a game that we could have a good bit of scoring oh yeah Uh, well and LSU really has hit their stride give them credit both teams have had a week off Jaden Daniels uh, really has turned into a true dual threat uh, in in a lot of ways Malik Neighbors uh, who had an awful game against uh, FSU to start the year has really come on nearing the top 10 uh, in the league in receiving yards. Uh, but, but, but I think uh, their LSU is healthy. They're getting guys back. Understand John Emery is healthy and, and back with the game too. But look, what, uh, for our listeners, one thing Travis and I have said all along in this LSU team, they have dudes I don't care who's coaching them and how bad it was last year. Uh, Brian Kelly knows what he's doing, and, and I think you can see it with a resurgence. I'm not sure they'll be good enough uh, and together enough at this point to beat Alabama, but I, I think Brian Kelly uh, is serving notice, Trav, that uh, he's going to be recruiting and that team's going to get better. Uh, but again, my big thing for this game is, and I think it will determine it, uh, frankly, is uh, how clean a game will Alabama be able to play if they can play a relatively clean game as far as penalties and turnovers. Uh, I, I think they will win the game. Uh, if they don't, this game probably goes to the fourth quarter, uh, and it very well could be uh, in anyone's game going in late. No doubt. Um, you know, Nick Saban has talked this week about in essentially putting it in the lap of the players. What do you want to uh, attach your legacy to at this point? Um, it's all hands on deck time for Alabama. And really what it is, is it's a prove it stretch coming up sure it is. For, for the Alabama defense for me as much as anything. And that's understanding. Look, you can play really good football against offenses like Tennessee's, LSU's, Ole Miss, and you'll still give up mid-20s, maybe even low-30s in points. Uh, But you got to be a lot better than you were the last time you took that show on the road to Tennessee. So Jaden Daniels, difficult dude to to deal with between his legs and his arm. You know, I uh, I think LSU has, I looked it up the other day, LSU has 49 runs of 10 yards or more this season. Mm-hmm. He has 30 of them wow. at the quarterback. That's incredible. Position. So that's what you're dealing with to go along with a stable of quality backs. There's not a Leonard for net 
in that backfield. John Emery's a talented guy, but between injury and suspension, he's sort of been in and out of the lineup. I really like Armani Goodwin, uh, the Birmingham yes. native. Uh, that's you know kind of a a squat leverage runner, um, tough to tackle. Uh, so that's that's still where it starts for the Alabama defense this week is unlike Tennessee when they couldn't really totally rein in that Tennessee run game you know can they make Jaden Daniels beat them from the pocket now look LSU as far as quality at the wide receiver position I'll put that room up against yeah. just about any in college Absolutely. football Tennessee's numbers are crazy mm-hmm. but if you just want to talk about potential NFL guys Brian Thomas, Kayshawn Booty, Jeray Jenkins, um, Malik Neighbors. The, LSU can still go deep with that group. So, uh, you know, I think Eli Ricks jumping in there at corner. Uh, Brent opposite Kool-Aid McKinstry for Alabama. The former LSU Tiger, that's a storyline certainly for this week. And uh, I think after that Tennessee performance, uh, that was, that was uh, imminent with with ricks and, and a guy can play man coverage okay. and i think that's I, I think that's what they're gonna ask him to do this week and you know if that frees up a safety or maybe brian branch or someone like that to deal with Jaden daniels and his legs a little bit more than then that's all the better too for alabama well and and one thing too lsu averaging 11.3 yards per completion so uh, that those those aren't necessarily hinton hooker numbers uh, but and but uh, Alabama can play clo- pay close attention to that. Uh, Travis, I'm just wondering uh, again: uh, is this a game where Jameer Gibbs could be the difference maker for Alabama? Uh, the time that Bryce Young is set out to get well, I think that will uh, be uh, very important. And you mentioned the LSU receivers. One of the things that really been difficult for the Alabama receivers, they're among the nations, and you don't want to be in this category of the receiver group that has the most drops. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure they worked on that hard during these last couple of weeks. Uh, and and uh, where they will they be a lot more steady in that department come Sunday Saturday night. Yeah, just consistency across the board for Alabama, uh, especially when you talk about uh, taking the show on the road. The, the penalties, as you talked about earlier, have been uh, way too many uh, in a couple of those games. 17 at Tennessee, 15 at Texas. That That's just that's not sustainable even nope. for a team like Alabama. Um, so those will certainly be things to keep an eye on. When Alabama and LSU get together Saturday night mm. in Death Valley. 7.30 Eastern on ESPN2. You know, if you'd have told me 10 years ago Cadillac Williams was going to be the head coach for the Auburn <laughs> Tigers when they were making a trip to Starkville to take yeah. on, well, Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach. Yeah. Think about the head coaches in this game. And if someone would have presented this scenario to you 10 years ago. <laughs> well, uh, you would have said that they were crazy, uh, probably, uh, with that, but, but again, uh, having covered this league since the early nineties and basically the eighties, like we have, uh, uh, you can never take anything for granted and nothing ever surprises you, uh, uh in what happens in the league. No doubt about that. And look, 
this is an Auburn team at three and five and one and four in the league, um, struggling in, in many areas, as you might expect. And this makes it an even bigger game for Mike Leach, in my opinion. Auburn's limping yeah. in here. This is bowl eligibility that you're looking to hit. Uh, if you're Mississippi State in this game, you got to take care of business, don't you, at home? Yes. You would think. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And Robbie Ashford but for Auburn, even though he was announced as <laughs> the PA announcer at Auburn announced uh, Holden uh, uh, Grinner as the starter, and then Ashford starts, goes 24 of 33 for 285. That I'm sure that symbolized something at Auburn right there. But, uh, but, but again, Trav, uh, to me, if Auburn has a chance, take Bigsby last week. 11 of uh, 11 for 63. I, I still wonder what the mystery is that they can't get uh, Tank Bigsby more involved with his offense. Yeah, not bad numbers for Robbie Ashford last week in some ways, but if he is north of 30 pass attempts and Tank Bigsby is south of 15 yes. rushes, yes, I, I think you can probably figure out what the the outcome is going to look like from a wins and losses standpoint. So uh, need to turn that around this week against a Mississippi state team coming off a bye week after a loss at Alabama. And again, interesting situation here because you got the Mississippi state AD previously making essentially the midweek move to the opponent coming up for Saturday there at Davis Wade stadium, wrapping things up Saturday night. South Carolina travels to Nashville to take on Vanderbilt. The Commodores still in search of their first league win of the season. The opportunities becoming fewer and fewer for Clark Lee's team. South Carolina, meanwhile, I'm not going to say that was an exceptionally disappointing performance against Missouri in the loss at Williams-Brice Stadium last Saturday night. But what have we talked about so far in the Shane Beamer tenure? There at South Carolina, this is a guy when it stacks up in a way that South Carolina should win a game, they have. And that was one where it didn't play out that way. And again, give Missouri a lot of credit. They've been on the doorstep, been on the cusp of some some impressive league wins uh, this season. They got it done. And here's the thing that would bother me the most if I was Shane Beamer in watching that back. It just. Missouri just owned the line of scrimmage. They did. You know, South Carolina had no answers. I know we like to bang on Spencer Rattler and a lot of it he brings on himself, but uh, that game was basically lost up front for South Carolina from what I could get. Uh, well, and, and evidence of that is so, <clears throat> Missouri had four sacks and 11 tackles for loss. Uh, so give them a lot of credit for what they did. Travis, the, the thing that would concern me the most if I was a South Carolina fan, uh, Spencer Rattler's quote after the game, quote, I don't feel like we had a good enough idea of knowing what to do. I say that's what we need to get better at preparing and knowing what to do. Now, now uh, you're Luke Doty, Luke Doty to the courtesy <laughs> phone, Luke Doty to the courtesy phone. Uh, the, uh, uh, that's not a real endorsement of that South Carolina offensive brain trust. Is it Trout? No, no. And that, look, that's kind of what you get 
with Spencer Rattler, especially when things Absolutely. start to uh, when things start to dip yes. a little bit. That's yes. uh, right out of the Spencer Ooh. Rattler Ooh. playbook. Uh, I, I don't really know if he's a great front runner because during his time at Oklahoma, I guess we saw you know that team have success, but but yeah, that that's sort of the Man. the makeup of Spencer Rattler coming to the surface, but it, there's no way around it. It was a, a very disappointing performance um, for South Carolina in that home loss to Missouri. And uh, this has typically been a opportunity to get well for teams and going to Nashville. But w- we said it before, I mean, this is a game a year ago that South Carolina was seconds away from losing yes. to Vanderbilt in Columbia. So uh, I don't look at this situation as one where, you can just write in a W for the Gamecocks on Saturday night. Uh, nothing is. Uh, uh, look, uh, they've had uh, they've had some improvement, uh, but they've still got a ways to go. I, I would agree because Vandy's had their moments. And, and to me, another real problem for South Carolina and all their losses, they simply could not run the ball. Yeah. Uh, and, and last week was another example, Trav. Marshawn Lloyd, seven for 30, and you just can't have that. Nope. Can't do it. So uh, we'll see what South Carolina has in the tank when it goes to Vanderbilt to uh, take on the Commodores Saturday night. Well, Brent, there you go. That is your league action coming up for Saturday. An epic weekend, a fun weekend. I mean, you look at this rundown of games, and I know we're all anticipating Tennessee, Georgia, and Alabama, LSU, but really from start to finish, I think there's plenty to keep you tuned in between Kentucky, Missouri, Florida, Texas A&M early. Uh, If you can manage to sneak away a little bit for Arkansas Liberty, you know, that has potential. And uh, the storylines in the primetime windows with Alabama, LSU, and the Auburn coaching situation and you know, so much going on in the SEC coming up this week. Again, luckiest guy in the SEC is going to be Lane Kiffin <laughs> yeah. because yeah. his Rebels are off and resting before hosting Alabama, and uh, he gets to take all this in. He'll probably have some fun with it. He'll be asked for some quotes over the weekend, I'm sure. Uh, but, but, look, I'm with you on that. That's the strength of the SEC. It's not sometimes your headliner games, but it's the games that are – uh, the, the the most overlooked game. So uh, it would be another uh, tremendous weekend. But Trav, one one question remains for our listeners uh, was in the trip that you just had. Uh, we have to ask about Pop's behavior. Uh, there, yeah. was, there wasn't any international incidents that I read or heard about. So uh, how did he do overseas? Well, he's still over there. So as of this taping on Thursday, Pops and Nana, they left us from London on Monday and headed to Brussels and Amsterdam. So you worry about Amsterdam with Pops a little bit. But um, (laughs) no, our dealings with him in London, he was he was borderline exceptional. By his standards, relative to relative to his standards anyway. Yeah. Yeah, he had a couple of whiskey and cokes, you know, when he got there first thing. But yes. otherwise, he was he was great. So wow. Um, wow. we'll see though. I'll 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 uh, I'll debrief uh, Nana when they get back and 
see how he performed in uh, Belgium and the Netherlands. Yeah, you know, we'll see how he did over there. But uh, it was a great trip. Now we had Good. a great time Glad. and a lot of history, a lot of great architecture, uh, a lot of fun. Uh, we saw American football. We saw the traditional football in England. Um, it was it was a it was a great trip. Yep, uh, no doubt and, about it. And and real quick, would you say, Trav, the uh, uh, their football uh, as far as in terms of passion and interest? Oh yeah, is it very similar to our level over here? Well, I think the SEC should expand to. <laughs> the British football because uh, the Premier League match we went to between Fulham and Everton yes. last Saturday night, I, I felt like I was in an SEC stadium on a oh, Saturday night. Uh, the crowds are unbelievable. I mean, there are only 25,000 people right. at uh, Craven Cottage at Fulham. That's the capacity. It was packed. Right. Uh, but, boy, between the pre-gaming and the match itself, uh, it was very much SEC-like. Man, and the weather felt like it's supposed to. Uh, it was probably about 60, 65 degrees at kickoff. It, wow, it was perfect. Right on the banks of the, the Thames River, too. Uh, wow. It's amazing setting there. And uh, we had a great time. Yeah, oh, I, I, that's what I told, I, told my, uh, I told my son, Evan. I said, you know, the SEC is looking to expand. I, two clubs over here they ought to, they ought to look up. <laughs> yeah, you know? absolutely. That's All true. right. Well, Brent, as always, man, the wealth of information, a lot of fun previewing just an epic upcoming weekend in the Southeastern Conference and look forward to talking about it next week here on Second Helping. Can't wait, my friend. Take care. For Brent Beard, Travis Ryer, thanking you for joining us right here on the Second Helping Podcast. Again, thanks to the Pigskin Podcast Network as well and our association with DraftKings do an outstanding job there for us as well. Also want to thank Bill Oakley, executive producer of the podcast. So for Brent, Bill, Travis, thanks again. Until next time. So long, everybody.